to episode 15 of the Swamp Flex Podcast. My name is Brandon Leday. This is the podcast version of the movie review website Swamp Flix. We are coming back after two episodes in Skype Exile. There's a lot of stuff to be excited about today. It's Halloween season, so we're talking scary movies, which if you listen to the podcast regularly, you'll know that we do that year-round anyway. Um, we are recording in a new physical space in 7th Ward, New Orleans, which is uh, going to be a little different from the uh, cats we used to hear uh, in the background behind uh, the rock and bowl where we used to record with James. Um, instead of that, you'll be hearing maybe a passing motorcycle or two. Vroom, vroom. Also, it's New Orleans Film Fest right now, so there's a bunch of crazy, awesome movies playing in New Orleans that haven't been playing here otherwise. And on top of all that, we have a new co-host sitting right next to me right now, C.C. Chapman. Hi! <laughs> C.C. and I watch most of our movies together, uh, so it's going to be pretty interesting seeing what we can recommend to each other anyway, because we cover a lot of the same territory. We're a unit. <laughs> We're one. It's like a two-person Borg. Um, so besides all of that, before we get into what we're going to be talking about today, I gotta ask, Cece, what have you been watching lately? Anything particularly great stand out to you? Sort of rewinding the clock before Film Fest, anything stand out? Oh yeah, no, I saw this really good film called The Dressmaker. Uh, I actually liked it so much that I immediately group texted my British period drama Facebook chat group to be like, girls, we need to get on this. We need to all see this. We can't all see it in the theater because it was only in the theater for a limited time. But it is definitely going to be one of our like group movies in the near future. Um, it's produced by some of the people behind Muriel's Wedding. Which is also uh, an oft-repeated joke in our house that that's the only movie I watch. It's not true. <laughs> but if I don't know what to watch, that is always what I will suggest. Usually somebody steps in and, you know, prevents that terrible disaster from happening <laughs> but this one's different uh vibe altogether. it's like it is it's dusty it's dry it's a western yeah it's got like the same muriel's wedding camp but it applies it to like a western uh basic structure but then it goes all over the place there's like so many different genres living in this weird little chaotic movie it's perfect plus kate winslet is such a badass in this she is she's she's a stranger who comes to town essentially it's a great it's one of the great plots yeah and instead of like uh instead of slaying people with like a six shooter she brings her like sewing machine that's her big weapon and she just covers the entire town in like beautiful dresses it's terrible those poor people what they had to go through no it's not it's great (laughs) well besides the dressmaker what have you seen uh shin godzilla another limited theatrical run yeah which was it's really sad they they at our local broad theater they did add an extra round of matinee showings uh during uh the weekend of october 15th and 16th but other than that there's just it's hard to get in it's hard to see it but i think if if people do get the opportunity to watch it they definitely should because it's great it's amazing yeah this is like the 30 something like 31st godzilla movie uh, and I was still surprised by it, which was kind of strange. Like, you think you would know what to expect with Godzilla, but I did not expect the movie that we watched. No, no, it was a, it was a, it's a reboot, so, for the Toho, uh, I guess, production company, um, mm-hmm. where they're starting from scratch. Uh, Japan has never been demolished by a Godzilla. They've never seen a Godzilla, so they don't know what to expect, so they have to re-explain the whole thing to us. Uh, and... 
it is largely a political satire, like a, a satire of the bureaucracy of modern day Japanese politics, um, and also of Japanese American relations. It is uh, very surprising, and it's also a monster movie. So it's both of those things. Not only is it a like a political satire, the rapid fire energy of it is very striking yeah. uh, it's got this like really kinetic feeling to it it's cut like a modern comedy mm-hmm. uh but in sort of an absurdist kind of way like a kafka-esque like trip through bureaucracy like you were saying yeah like yeah they're they're doing these quick cuts but they're also showing us these painfully boring board meetings that they have to have before they do anything let's have a meeting about having a meeting about having a press conference all the while a monster's rampaging <laughs> yeah, I really like that movie as well. And re- rewinding the clock even further, we watched uh, Cabin in the Woods for the first time, which was fantastic. We probably have the dubious honor of being some of the only people who that plot was not spoiled for. But the movie doesn't even try to like spare you from it No, like you figure out what's going on pretty quickly, but still, like I feel like a lot of people went in like knowing what the plot was going to be, and I feel like we went in pretty blind. We were like, we know there's a cabin, and we know there's... They're scientists, but so, that's all I know. I didn't know that there was a scientist plot. I just thought I, I just vaguely heard it was, knew that because yeah. I think I read the Wikipedia too. I think I actually did spoil it for myself a few years <laughs> back. But thank God I have a terrible memory, <laughs> and so I forget these things, and then they kind of vaguely come back to me as I'm watching it. So this is basically a Joss Whedon uh, production. He like co-wrote it with this guy Drew Goddard, who writes for a lot of his shows like Buffy and Firefly and all that. Um, so there's these two competing movies. One is a standard Cabin in the Woods horror film where uh, there's some kind of monster attack on these like young teens. And then there's this other movie on top of it where this group of scientists is watching and influencing the uh, events in the teen movie. And you don't know exactly why. And it all culminates when the two movies finally clash together in this spectacular way. Um, Obviously, we've been talking like about a few sort of violent horror movies right now, and just watching this during the ritual of watching like a bunch of ho- uh, horror movies every Halloween was like this really great meta experience for me. Yeah, no, like it gives us this really great framework. Be like, oh, these are the characters. Oh, and these are the events that have to happen. So we could like go through with a checklist. And be like, oh, okay, so this has happened, and this has happened, and this has happened. Oh. Yeah, it does this really great thing where it like makes you think about the ritual of watching kids like this get hurt every year for entertainment so it's a little bit of an indictment in that way but it also like turns that ritual into something meaningful at the same time it's like it's like uh, an anthropology like it's like looking at like a film through a post-structuralist lens or through a feminist lens we're like looking at these horror movies through this like cabin in the woods lens like these are the structures and these are why they exist yeah and i'm usually not a huge joss whedon fan and i really like how his like usual cleverness is used here i think it's like super effective probably best horror movie i've watched since we first saw peeping tom last year so it, it's been something i th- think about a lot more than i expected to when i kind of popped it on wow that high is praise. that is very high praise yeah i, I think okay. it's really brilliant um well, so what else have you watched besides cabin in the woods i did go to broad um to see the greasy strangler which was this super gross really aggressive uh slasher movie that was in the vein of like tim and eric's billion dollar movie which was aggressively stupid yeah you know like repetitive and inane and nothing means anything 
Uh, in the very first scene in the movie, the killer confesses who he is, and his son's like, oh, you're a bullshit artist. You're not really the greasy strangler. And it's so obvious that he is, because he eats like a ton of grease with every meal. And his entire um, costume when he goes out and strangles people is that he just covers his body in grease. It's this hideous image, but it's set up like a murder mystery where you already know the answer in the first scene. Um, so it really is just like the dumbest movie. His son figures out in like the last 15 minutes who who the killer is. But he's uh, already been told. He's already been told. Um, the two of them sort of lounge around the house naked together, eating just gallons of grease. Uh, they have the most upsetting looking prosthetic genitals I've ever seen in a film before. Um... <laughs> But if you're really into that sort of Tim and Eric, uh, Eric Andre, that like aggressive anti-comedy style, it is a very singular film. Like I've never seen something quite like the Greasy Strangler before, just because it applies that aesthetic to uh, horror. Horror, yeah, <laughs> something, and and it really is horrifying. Even though it is like a stupid comedy, um, it's just so gross to look at that your body just recoils while you look. I don't know. It's it's not for everybody almost to the point where that's like a mission statement, but it's really fun if you're, if you can get into that kind of wheelhouse. Um, that's, that's enough of a recap. I think of like the really big things we've seen. Uh, we're going to come back in about, I don't know, about a month with a recap of all the awesome stuff we're watching at New Orleans film fest. So we're going to kind of put that on hold right now. Uh, but for now we are going to talk about some spooky movies cause Halloween is coming up in a couple weeks. Um, for CC's, uh, first, experience with the movie of the minute segment i've made her watch the third film in the john carpenter halloween series uh, season of the witch uh and after that what are we talking about uh, we're going to talk about the seminal slasher trilogy slumber party massacre one two and three uh they again uh are pretty straightforward uh the titles uh suggest that there's going to be some kind of massacre to slumber party and in fact there was a massacre at a slumber party in all three of them. It's shocking. <laughs> no, it's not. It's not no, it delivers exactly what it promises. Yeah, if you're looking for a slasher movie, it's, it's, they're very good slasher movies. And uh, all that's coming up right now. segment this is where we bounce back and forth recommending films to each other uh this is cc's first time co-hosting hey so this is her first time uh being forced to watch something under the pressure of the podcast <laughs> but it is halloween season so she got to watch a spooky halloween movie i did um specifically we watched halloween 3 season of the witch uh it's the third part of the original john carpenter series um, the original plan for the Halloween series was supposed to be an anthology. So every movie was supposed to stand alone. Um, and that was like John Carpenter's original concept. 
when he went to the studio with this, they thought, no, we made a bunch of money with this Michael Myers murderer from the first movie. So the second one picks up exactly where the first one left off. Like the same second where the end credits roll, that's where the second one starts. Carpenter got his wish with the third film, uh, which he produced and someone else directed. Uh, same with the second one. Uh, and they did the standalone film about this Irish novelty toy company who makes Halloween masks designed to murder children. Uh, it's this strange sort of murder mystery film. People went to the theater wanting to see Michael Myers and they were absolutely pissed about the film that they got. Um, the whole movie is basically just this doctor witnesses a very strange death at his hospital um, and investigates and it leads him back to this small town where this Irish factory is. They're making three masks. Uh, one is a skull, one's a jack-o'-lantern, and one's a witch. Um, they are wildly popular, sold all across the country. Kids are eating it up. And there's this um, really catchy jingle that goes along with their uh, their advertisements for the masks. And kids are sort of glued to the TV every time it plays. It's so infectious. Um, and the plan is that once we can get as many kids as possible watching at a certain time on Halloween night, then they're going to pull this kind of trigger that uh, uses ancient British Isles witchcraft to basically crush the children's skulls and turn them into like snakes and bugs, uh, which then turn around and kill their parents. Uh, it's a really ambitious film. Uh, it's just as goofy as it sounds, but also has these sort of like kind of creepy moments to it that uh, it's not like entirely over the top camp. There's like some real chills here, I think. Um, so I guess just out front, I got to ask you, CC, uh, what did you think of Halloween 3, Season of the Witch? Well, uh, I know that we're going to be singing that jingle for <laughs> probably the next six months, uh, <laughs> all throughout the Halloween season and the Christmas season, the New Year's season. The Mardi Gras season. <laughs> That's okay. It's a, it's a really good jingle. They played in the movie, what, a good dozen times? Oh, at least. At least. Uh, it's, there's a countdown portion to the jingle, so the days leading up to Halloween, they let you know how many days until Halloween, and then once it's actually Halloween, then they go into like the, the jingle that I was already more familiar with from Brandon singing it incessantly. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, it was, it was a pretty good movie. Uh, this is actually the only Halloween movie I've seen, so I'm not disappointed Michael Myers wasn't in it. Uh... <laughs> Simply because I am afraid of Michael Myers, uh, it does it does kind of remind me of the Trick or Treat franchise or anthology movie, uh, just because they wanted to talk about Halloween in general and like its weird origins, and then they kind of got stuck doing Michael Myers, and here's their chance to actually like talk about like how weird what this weird little holiday is. Yeah, I th I think that's exactly right. Like both of those movies have this sort of reverence for the holiday, where it's like treated like this holy thing instead of just a reason to dress up and ask for candy. Um, it's like, oh, you forgot the origins of it, which is usually like something creepy that Christians say, but they actually applied it to a holiday that we uh, pay attention to um, a lot more closely. Uh, and sa saying that Michael Myers doesn't appear in this movie, I guess, is a little bit of a, 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 a skewed fact, because they do kind of tease um, the old Halloween movies by playing them on televisions in the background. Yeah, in between the jingle uh, for the uh, Silver Shamrock Mask Company, you see Halloween. Halloween 1 plays pretty much on loop in this world uh, <laughs> during the Halloween season. It's either a jingle, an advertisement for the upcoming giveaway related to the jingle, or it's Halloween. <laughs> 
And so that, something I thought inter- was interesting watching it this time that I didn't really think about before was how um, they okay. So they're reaching for these sort of old world uh, witchcraft ideas that are very ancient and like oh Halloween of old. It's like this, sort of this blood sacrifice, and that's what we're gonna kill all these children for. Um, but they update it with this like very strictly '80s vibe to it. Like uh, the killer basically owns this corporation and he has all these business suit people um, as his uh, minions. We can talk about them a little more in a minute, but uh, it resembles pretty much every other 80s villain in that it's like this like sort of Reagan corporation that's gotten out of hand. Yeah. Yeah, and even, even their technology for killing the children within the mask, sure, it involves, like, an ancient uh, Stonehenge-type stone, and, like, particles of that are imbued in the mask, but it also involves lasers and microchips. <laughs> so, reconcile those two ideas. Yeah, and, like, when you're first watching the movie, the opening credits are this weird digitized jack-o'-lantern. Yeah, it's, it's like a... You're watching a screen, like a computer screen, but it's like doing it line by line, like the old, old printers. Like, <laughs> like, zzz, 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 <laughs> and like showing us this jack lantern, like showing up line by line. Like, yeah. And the television, obviously, is like a big part of it, and that's like uh, modern technology. They're like, oh, yeah, no, because the television is the killing device. They have to be tuned into the TV for the mass to kill them. <laughs> but the so. way they're, they're powering the um, witchcraft to go through the television is they stole a chunk of Stonehenge. Yeah. And they're keeping it in this small town, uh, and it's creating these, like, sort of, like, beams of energy that are, like, uh, I don't know, powering these microchips in the back of the mask. It's this weird marriage yeah, of, no. like, different ideas. Um, can I ask you just sort of outright what was your favorite mask like if you were going to buy one of the silver shamrock masks which one would you buy oh you know honestly I hated the witch one because the, the green was a little too dark so yeah. you couldn't really tell it was a witch it just kind of looked like a green blob um, I guess I'd have to go with the, the skull one because it was pretty creepy like, yeah. the pumpkin was really weird but also I don't, I don't want to run around as a pumpkin all night Like I'd rather <laughs> run around as a creepy skull I like the skull a lot too, yeah. and I, I think the uh, pumpkin would be good if you do that. Um, remember that local news broadcast guy who's like the pumpkin with the uh, turtleneck on and does yeah, the graveyard the, the, dancing. The black body sock. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of a perfect mask for that. Um, yeah. But other than that, the skull looked really cool. Um, it was a really good skull. And the, uh, going back to the the technology and the uh, '80s Reaganite minions for a minute, um, they are killer robots. Yeah. Stepford Wives types. It's a small world after all. Killer robots. And when you murder them, they're full of this, like, green pus? Yeah, like this, like, orangey, like, <laughs> yellowy, like, foul-colored pus. Yeah, and it just feels like a weird, like, like I said earlier, just kind of a weird marriage of, like, technology and, like, old-world superstition. And they kind of uh, talk about that earlier, like, the earliest automatons that this toy maker used to make um, He was... collects them. Oh, he collects them? Yeah, it was, it was one that he collected. He had a whole collection of them. He used to make automatons and toys, but that particular one was one in his collection. But it was it was from, like, colonial days, like the 1700s, when, you know, you wouldn't really expect there to be advanced robotics going on. Yeah, that's, that's what I was thinking. Like, the, the technology that he uses to create his, like, robot army is very, like, new. It's obviously, like, science fiction. But the uh, the the older ones he has sort of like tie it back to this like sort of older thing. I don't know. Yeah, no, automatons are this strange, weird technology. Like we <laughs> used to make robots 
who could, you know, uh, solve math problems or write a piece of poetry. And they were very complicated because it's not just the gears that power it, but it also has a set of gears that are a computer program. So it's a gear-based computer. And we don't really think of computers existing back then, uh, even though, you know, people like Ada Lovelace or, and, and Charles Babbage have become more popularized in fiction in recent years. Uh, we don't really think of computers being this thing that you would find in the 1700s. Wasn't the big part of Hugo too? Was automatons? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah the automaton was the the central part of part of the plot of Hugo. So yeah. more automatons in fiction, honestly. Like, <laughs> yeah, they're, they're weird. On. They're really weird. They're <laughs> early robotic computers, like, but designed solely to do something amusing. And uh, I, I also wanted to ask you if you thought that it brought any legitimacy to it that they went back to like the origins of Halloween. Like, let's say, let's say they didn't bring in, like, the British Isle stuff, uh, that sort of Wicker Man vibe, if they just went back and, um, and had, like, a standard, like, corporation that wanted to kill all these children as some sort of, like, blood sacrifice, like, do you think that the movie would have any legitimacy, or do you think that it needs to be this, like, small Irish community who's offended about a straying from tradition? Uh, well, I mean, I don't see why a corporation would want to kill a bunch of kids, because a corporation... You know, I, I was always at a depression would want to make money if they kill all the children <laughs> in America. Who's going to buy the mask next year? That seems silly. But uh, so I feel like just from a logical standpoint, as logical as a horror movie could ever be, of course they have to like have this idea that 3,000 years ago the hills of Ireland ran red with the blood of sacrifices and it's <laughs> time for it to happen again. His uh, monologue about that like uh is so great <laughs> it didn't make a lot of sense it, it was does a very good monologue it's very so. rambly but he seems so passionate about it and so cold like i just love i love it anytime a horror villain really just wants to murder like children not teenagers like michael myers would be chasing um you know jamie lee curtis down the street uh and in, in this but this guy like wants to kill like four-year-olds four, yeah like he wants to kill really young kids yeah. uh, and he does a couple kids die in this movie well, arguably, um, millions of kids die in this movie. I mean, not to give away the ending, but yeah, uh, millions of kids die at the end. We see a couple kids die during the movie, though. Yeah, I remember you saying that the ending was a little anticlimactic. Yeah, uh, no, I just... It's 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 kind of like uh, the ending of, like, uh, I don't know, like, the pod people or something. Like, body snatchers, like, the hero does everything right that he's supposed to do, and then, like... He still fails, and then the movie cuts off there. We don't actually see him fail. Like We don't like see like all the children's heads explode. See, I, I like the efficiency there, because we, we see... I mean, it would be expensive and gross, I That's guess. That's true. But yeah, I like the efficiency, because you see one kid die of the Halloween um, curse that they're, they're putting on. And then later, you get this sort of montage where you go all across the country, and you see just how popular these kids' masks are. Like, it's not just a local thing. Um... And then at the end, he's trying to stop the commercial from playing. On all three channels, you guys. <laughs> he calls up just, I don't know, just television in general and says, you have to take it off the channel. <laughs> no, and then channel two and channel three. <laughs> As though there's some national like syndicate running all three channels that we had back in the 80s. What if the next sequel, uh, like if this was popular, it was just him for the next hour trying to like cut off the West Coast feed or whatever, the next two hours? Yeah, that's the thing. I don't understand why he didn't go after a broadcast tower or something. Like, is it on like a VCR cassette tape? In which case, like, why do they have to have all those computers in their lab? Like, I just feel like there was something he could have knocked over. That's true. And he just thought he would call another adult and get an adult to solve his problem, which obviously <laughs> didn't work. 
I, I guess uh, if there is any problem with this movie, though, it is that main protagonist. Uh, oh, he's the worst. He's this. Okay, first of all, he's a doctor, not a detective. So it's kind of weird that he's investigating the crime the way he is. He's like tracing it back to the source uh, just because he was so shocked by what happened in the hospital. And there was a hot lady. Yeah. Like, uh, the total, like, film noir, like, my daddy's in trouble. You gotta help me, doc. Yeah. Uh, and he has sex with this woman after pretty much no flirtation. Like, they no. just sort of jump no, into No, he's like, it. well, I'm gonna go sleep in the car. And she's like, well, that'll seem suspicious, because we're supposed to be posing as a married couple. Where do you want to sleep tonight? And then the next <laughs> thing you know, they're having sex. Like, and that's it. he's a good 15, 20-ish years older than her. Yeah. Not very attractive. Like, kind of looks like the kind of guy who really likes the song Brandy. Like, Brandy, you're a fine girl, like, mustache, thinning hair, and he's got, probably uh, a swinger. He's got this uh, nurse at the hospital he's always um, sort of putting off, who's, like, more his own age. And really smart, because he's like, you're the only capable person in the coroner's office. Uh, he also treats his wife like a shrew. Uh, his ex-wife is always sort of nagging him to death, which I guess is more on the screenwriters than on him, but it's kind of a gross... Uh, yeah view of like how a woman would act uh, basically she's got this like put upon attitude about how he's such an alcoholic loser which he is yeah like he's like on call and he's like stumbling home from a bar and she's like you're literally still on call what, what, why are you drunk and this guy's our hero uh, and at the beginning of the movie he shows like literally zero interest in his own kids like his kids are like hey dad and he's like uh I bought you some like crappy masks from the drugstore and they're like mom already got us like these cool silver shamrock masks we're good <laughs> And uh, he's constantly like telling his wife, "I don't want to. I don't want to babysit them. I don't want them for the weekend. I'm too busy." And then we're also supposed to like believe that this guy really wants to save all of America's kids when he like doesn't even really want his own kids to like have dinner with him. Yeah, he calls his wife to uh, to get his kids away from the TV, but it's kind of a f- like sad effort. Like he yeah. doesn't really try that hard. Yeah. And she just assumes he's drunk again, which means he has a pattern of being an asshole. Yeah, he's like, "Oh, we'll take away their like nice mess that you bought them." And she's like, well, what? Like, you're upset that I bought them nice masks and you bought them these crappy masks? And you want me to switch them out? Like, I'm not doing that. Like, it's Halloween night. Like, they like the good masks. I'm not... You're just being jealous. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, it's hard to say that if they had replaced this guy with, like, a younger, hotter version of himself, or if they had, like, not made the ending so pessimistic that the movie would have been better in people's minds uh, because they probably did feel so cheated about Michael Myers. But I think it's part of the problem. I mean, I think we would have been more forgiving of his callous behavior because you can be a pretty big jerk in a movie as long as you're good looking. And this guy was kind of mediocre looking. So the whole time I was just like, this guy's a jerk. And they treat him like he's hot stuff too. Like after he has sex uh, in the film, they do this sort of gratuitous butt shot. Yeah, him. I didn't want to see this guy's butt. He was like <laughs> in his fifties. It's and the it's only like not nudity. a good butt. It's the only nudity in the whole movie, and it's like a very mediocre butt. <laughs> it's an old man butt. It's an old man butt. <laughs> well, okay, so he's not great, but the villain uh, is—I um, don't know how to pronounce his name—Dan O'Harling. Uh, he is also the villain from RoboCop. Speaking of menacing Reagan era corporations, um, he is the. Irish mastermind behind the uh, the witchcraft plot uh, to use Stonehenge laser beams to fire off all these masks, um, and he is so cold, but also so playful. Yeah, yeah. He he started out a gag toy maker, and then decided <laughs> I want to kill all the children. You know, I've made sticky toilet paper as 
just extremely disgusting uh and other like dumb gag gifts and now i want to just kill all the kids <laughs> and despite being from ireland and bringing an entire irish factory over to the united states and an entire irish staff workforce to the united states and a large chunk of stonehenge which they never explain how they get it over here <laughs> wait i love that part go what? ahead uh, they're like uh what does he say um basically he's like don't ask how we got it over here because you would find it ridiculous yeah, or you, you wouldn't believe it you us. wouldn't believe it like <laughs> well I guess not because you haven't told us and you're not going to but like why did he have to come to the United States to begin with like good question like he did all of this effort just to kill American kids why 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 not Irish kids you know don't don't all children's lives matter as far as blood sacrifice goes i think it goes back to that um idea of like desecrating the holiday mm. like the commercialism of america turning halloween in, in i'm pretty this. sure in ireland they're not continuing to do child sacrifices though so it's kind of a moot point that's true <laughs> they're not killing children in ireland they've desecrated the holiday too do you think it's like a bigger industry here than other places though i mean i'm just guessing i'm pretty sure fancy dress and um masquerades and halloween are still big in ireland and and you know in england that's true i mean i don't live there so <laughs> if we have any irish or you know british listeners who could you know <laughs> write us and let us know um we'd appreciate it. i do know that pumpkins you know are an american thing but that's just because nobody wants to carve out the inside of a not hollow turnip and then carve a face <laughs> on it when you could just carve a face on a hollow pumpkin because that's much much easier plus turnips <laughs> kind of suck so yeah I don't know. I, I, I think this movie is uh, a lot better than its early reputation. It's got kind of a cult classic following now, which is good. Um, I mean, I just watched it for the first time like two years ago, and it really like stuck with me. I sing that Happy Halloween jingle all the time, all the time no matter what time of the year it is. It's just one of those earworms. Um, and it makes sense that you would sing it, because it does play so many times in the so movie. So many times in the movie. <laughs> um and also, like, there's a weird thing with the time where they, like, let us know what time it is, like, at all times in the movie. Whether we need to know or not. Like, somebody's running from the henchman, and then they let us know, it's been an hour. Yeah. We're like, why do we need to know that? Or, like, now it's three days till Halloween. Now it's, like, four hours till Halloween. Like, we constantly are getting updates. Like, too many updates. But at the same time, they do skip days. Yeah, they skip multiple days in the movie. And, like, one day, it starts on, like, the 21st. Right. before Halloween. It's 10 days till Halloween when the jingle starts. And they skip to like the 27th and then they skip to the 24th and then, or 24th and then the 27th and then like the next thing you know it's like actually Halloween. That might have been kind of a production afterthought because without that um, without that text uh, You only have the jingle to go on to know what time it is. Yeah. Because the jingle does count it down. Yeah, maybe, maybe it was a little confusing without that but I'm not sure. It is definitely constant. I definitely didn't need to know an hour had passed. And that was the first one. That was the first one. It was like, <laughs> well, the guy's still running, and he's still in the same outfit, so I assume it's the same night. It wouldn't have changed the narrative for it to have been four hours later or 30 minutes later. <laughs> yeah, they already like, did the cinematic way of showing you that time passed. Like, it cuts it, in this, like, obvious a, way. A scene goes to, to black, and then it... <laughs> it opens back up and now it's raining which it wasn't before and the same guy is now running but in a different area around different scenery so yeah this isn't like perfectly crafted no. cinema but i like how high concept the ideas are and you know it's it's an idea we don't get a lot of like uh, especially from 80s like horror movies is that let's kill all the children not the horny teenagers 
not the sexy co-eds, not like other women, just children, just gross little kids. Yeah, even Freddy Krueger is supposed to be this like child molester murderer, but in the movies he kills teenagers. Which doesn't make sense. Yeah. Um, His raison d'etre was to molest and murder children. Right. Why does he all of a sudden want to kill teenagers? Um, and yeah, at, at first it's proposed that it's like, uh, I think it's like he's getting revenge on the kids who grew up of, of the parents who had him killed. Yeah. But it's, there's yeah, it's also the first like... batch of kids. Like those are the kids he was like trying to molest. There's also like a dozen of those movies now and yeah. he never kills children. No, he never goes back to killing kids. Come on. <laughs> so that's a fun idea. Like, and it's got this great jingle. It's got this really crazy plot involving like exploding, you know, masks and... Uh, automatons and there's the actual threat of children dying uh. there's that one great uh, gore scene where the woman first figures out the microchip uh, that there's something weird with it and plays with it with a hairpin it shoots this laser into her mouth and sort of opens her skull from the mouth yeah so like her like lips are like peeled back from her skull <laughs> but she's still alive obviously yeah it kind of looks like predator or something the way yeah it's like, like, like mouth these is pulled back. are like ugh. Yeah, and this uh, these bugs start crawling out of her face. A single, solitary, burrowing cricket. And he's just so sad and out of place. There's, like, no other <laughs> bugs to hang out with. There's no snakes. And just this one sad cricket. It's a big-ass cricket, though. <laughs> Is it, well, it's not, like, a cricket we'd ever see. They're, like, the underground type. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I, I really like the ambition of this movie. I think it's it's worth re-watching again a few times. Uh, yeah. And the pa- and, and and for some of the faults in the uh, format, I think the pacing is really good, and it gets out of hand and then ends at its most ridiculous point, which is what yeah. I always enjoy about these kind of genre films. Yeah, it's one of those films where like you think it's over, and then like oh, there's another jump scare, and you think it's over, and then it's like oh, someone else is gonna try and kill this guy, <laughs> and then we're just gonna end it. Yeah. Like oh, okay. I like I like that kind of trajectory. I don't think I needed like a denouement like what happens after yeah, the fallout. Yeah, not every horror movie needs the exact same plot structure. Like, that's, right. that's why we end up with these, like, these movies that make fun of horror movies because they are so predictable. Right. And they do follow the exact same plot structure every time. <laughs> do you have anything else you want to add? Any, like, details from the film? Uh-huh. I was pretty amazed that you spotted uh, Joshua John Miller. The uh... Yeah, he's the creepy little brother from Teen Witch. Yeah. Uh, his mom was in a Russ Meyer movie? Yeah, uh, she's the... Um, young girl who was tormented by the bikers in uh, Faster Pussycat Kill Kill. Yeah, yeah, but no, uh, that was his first movie role, and he is literally in about 30 seconds of it, and I was like, oh, it's a little brother! He's tiny baby! And he, it was, he was a tiny baby, it was, he was like four, and he does not have the creepy energy that he has in Teen Witch, and he does not have the lisp, strangely enough. So, yeah, you gotta or, wonder. Uh, or Near Dark, he, he's really well used Yeah, he's, he's great in Near Dark. He's a terrifying kid, and he's not terrifying in this film. So I don't know. He's just a normal kid at this point. Like, Hollywood hasn't, like, you know, been Hollywood to him. Yeah. So, okay, besides him and, like, the RoboCop villain, uh, the acting isn't particularly great here. It's, it's, it's serviceable. But the ideas are good enough to carry it. And oh, it, yeah. It definitely doesn't deserve to be... Uh, remembered as the worst Halloween sequel. 
Uh, it just doesn't deserve to be a Halloween sequel at all once Halloween became, like, its own franchise. Like, it is an true. anthology movie. Like, it's a movie about Halloween, mm-hmm. but maybe we could give it a new title or something, or find, like, some weird way of, like, relating it back to the movie. Yeah, it's a weird false start for them to want to do this franchise and to start it three films in to switch up the format. Yeah. Like, people were going to be upset by it. Yeah, no. But in retrospect, there have been way too many... Michael Myers films like I don't know I haven't seen him on Mars yet I've seen him in space <laughs> but I've actually seen him on another planet no that's Jason goes to space oh Mike yeah. Myers never goes to space no. oh. <laughs> unfortunately See, I don't actually know the difference between Mike Myers Jason and I, I understand the difference physically between them and Freddy Krueger but I probably don't know the difference in the plots of the movies I think the only too scary I think the only space ones are Leprechaun and Jason but they should all be required to go to space after they reach a certain number, I think. I feel like this could have been tied very easily into the Leprechaun, like, <laughs> franchise. I mean, obviously, with the whole, like, Irish, like, village in California subplot. Oh, yeah, totally. Well, there's always room for a sequel and a reboot. If you want yeah, to bring no. back Season of the Witch Part 2, uh, I will definitely watch it. Um, there's also new witches, which is very upsetting. There's, like, a, I guess a wizard. There's witchcraft. There's witchcraft, but there's no witches. Yeah, it's a very masculine organization he runs. Yeah. Um, that's another thing. Maybe just change the title altogether. Yeah. We don't need Season of the Witch. What does that mean? It's a great title as long as there's witches in it. Like, <laughs> there's strangely few women in the whole movie. It's, you know, like there's a couple like sidekick type characters, but none then, of those characters interact with one another. And then there's a love interest just yeah. to be there. Yeah. But I don't know. It's a weird movie and it has its flaws, but as long as you don't like hold in your heart that this is a Halloween movie, I don't think you're going to be that disappointed. <laughs> yeah. And you know, on um, Halloween night, make sure to put on your silver shamrock mask and um, gather at the television at 9 o'clock and uh, keep your eye on the magic pumpkin. See what happens. time for our feature conversation uh in honor of the great pumpkin holiday halloween we're gonna talk some spooky movies uh i chose the slumber party massacre trilogy as the uh focal point of this episode um unfortunately cc's not really into slashers in general is that true i just i you see you've seen one you've seen them all (laughs) yeah but people get slashed then they die. And then, like, maybe one of them lives. But, like, a Friday the 13th or a, uh, or, like, a, um, Halloween movie is not typically something you would usually watch. I've never seen any of them because I thought they were too scary when I was a kid. And now I just don't feel like it. Uh, Slumber Party Massacre is a little different from those in some ways just because they are a little goofier and they do all have women as directors instead of, like, men. Um, so I don't know if this was a better intro point to the slashers for you, or do you, th- do you think this works better than maybe one of those? I mean, 
I would say mostly I'm not afraid of going up the stairs after watching this one. You know, uh, I'm always afraid of getting my ankle slashed. Uh, but in this case, no. Um, I would say that there is definitely a different feel to the movies, even though there are the gratuitous, uh, oh man, I'm at a slumber party, so of course I'm going to take off my clothes and dance naked uh, moments. The camera somehow seems more documentarian, like, oh, well, this is what they're doing, and I better catch it on camera rather than like, Let's 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 lure let's let's uh let's linger on their boobies. You know? <laughs> like, it seems less leering. Yeah, it's like they had to include the nudity to check off some boxes, but like it's not necessarily like uh yeah, it's not ogling or anything like that. Um Well the uh first movie is actually a good example of that like sort of push and pull. Um released in nineteen eighty two, uh Slumber Party Massacre, um, directed by Amy Holden Jones, and written by uh, feminist author Rita Mae Brown, uh, who also wrote the the book Ruby, Ruby Fruit Jungle. Um, it was written to That's be That's a slang term for vagina. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> uh, th- this was written to be a satire of the oversexed um, teen girls in peril uh, slasher movie. But it was handled by Roger Corman's production company to basically be <laughs> uh, the real thing. So it's kind of like a mixture of different ideas. It wants to be a satire, but it kind of feels like the real deal at the same time. Um, so like you said, there are like girls in their underwear being chased down by this killer, but there's sort of a satirical edge to it as well. Yeah, definitely. And there's only so much of the movie that you can change through direction alone. I think that because the script was written very much as a satire, that does come through. I would say that this is the only one of the three that actually passes the Bechtel test, where not only do they not talk about boys, but they talk about other subjects that aren't just their hair or clothes or, oh my god, like, what are we gonna do at the cabin this weekend? But things like, hey, what was the score of that basketball game we just watched? Or... Oh man, that new girl, she's kind of weird, because she's too good at everything. Man, that's weird. Yeah, that's not necessarily a great place to start, though, for, like, a feminist movie. No. Because, like, it's basically, like, a girls' basketball team, um, and it feels a lot like that gym scene in uh, Rock rock and Roll High School. I think it might be the same gym. Yeah, (laughs) you're, like, watching these girls bounce up and down, play basketball. So there's a little leering in that way. And then the locker room, immediately, they start kind of bickering and uh, have these, like, catty exchanges well, yeah, they're not talking about boys, but they're not necessarily, uh, they're competing in a kind of a gross way as well. True, true. And I mean, yeah, that, that scene I definitely, like, technically passes, but, you know, like, still wasn't great content. <laughs> but, you know, I, I stand by my statements. Like, when they're actually at the slumber party, they do talk about other issues. Yeah. And, you know, they have a genuine interest in sports, like football and baseball, and even sports they don't participate in. <laughs> Shocking. Yeah, uh... And, and there's, like, this kind of dual movie going on, because you have the actual slumber party where all the girls are uh, dishing, dishing about these things. And then across the street, there's these two sisters uh, who are kind of kind of bummed out that they weren't invited to the, the party. But they're also talking about things that have nothing to do with boys or anything like that. Yeah, like, uh, the younger sister is jealous that, you know, she's she's still too young to wear makeup, and she's nervous about growing up, and so her sister, you know talks to her about like oh well you know growing up isn't always like great you know gives her makeup tips and that kind of stuff but like i don't know just some funny interesting exchanges including like a fight over a uh, a playgirl magazine mm-hmm. uh 
Which I don't know. I thought that was some good sisterly bonding. Like, <laughs> hey, don't tear the centerfold out of my porn. <laughs> and uh, I guess the weirder thing about this franchise to me is, unlike a lot of slashers, um, the killer's never a mystery. Like, it's not yeah. a murder mystery the way, like, uh, sort of like Jilo uh, ripoffs that the early uh, slashers are. Um, you know the killer is this escaped maniac. Mm-hmm. Uh, There's a, there, somehow somebody decides to read a newspaper very loudly at the beginning of the movie to let us know. <laughs> it is a very convenient reveal. Oh. Um, and he is uh, this sort of like grotesque version of masculinity. He's this guy, this clean cut military haircut. He wears these like denim, uh, like blue collar workman jackets. Uh, and his killing uh, tool is uh, this giant phallic drill. Uh, which I believe is probably a large part of the satire, is just that this uh, evil masculine figure is drilling these girls to death. Uh, yeah, they really got screwed. <laughs> <laughs> and they, they push that uh, imagery so far, too. Like, there's shots of like him dangling the drill between his legs before he While kills people. While it's dripping, like, just like like dripping with like someone else's blood like oh my god like over and over just gratuitous <laughs> they're just like we we don't want you guys to forget like please don't forget that they're getting screwed like it's a drill <laughs> it, like yeah no no we got it thanks you guys <laughs> yeah I, I i think my disappointment with this movie is it's like heralded as one of the better slashers and uh i get what people are latching onto, and it is that like uh that satirical edge of the the drill imagery is sort of like making fun of how all these killers are uh, performing this sort of like sexualized ritual uh, on these teen girls. Um, but at the same time, watching it, it feels very standard to me. Like it's not that exceptional within the genre. Mm, I would say, you know, yeah, the murder is particularly uh, flamboyant, but other than that, I mean, I, I would say their conversations did feel very real to me. Like. As opposed to some of the later movies where the dialogue was extremely fake sounding. Like, oh, yeah. We're just going to talk about a thing until the next scene starts. <laughs> yeah, it, it gets into like a ritual later. Uh, yeah, where they're like, yeah. Uh, but in this one, it de- definitely feels more like actual teens kind of hanging out. Yeah. But... And then somebody murders them, you know, as con- sometimes happens at some parties. <laughs> but it does have like these kind of like cheesy Roger Corman touches like it, it is a very tits and blood driven film uh, which is always going to cut into the satirical aspect of it definitely uh, there's also these sort of like goofy like things that no one would ever do like uh, the pizza delivery boy's eyes are drilled out and he dies uh, falls into the uh, house with the pizza in his yeah, hand which is underneath him essentially <laughs> like yeah and then one of the girls pulls the pizza out and starts eating on top of him uh, she's like oh the pizza's still good but you wouldn't eat on top of their dead body, even if you were extremely pragmatic in that situation. And, you know, hungry from shock. I don't know if that's a thing that happens, but maybe. <laughs> you still wouldn't put the pizza box on top of him and start eating it. You know, you maybe would go into another room or put a blanket over him first. But no. <laughs> and another thing, and this is goes for all three of them, but once the kills start, uh, the girls never change into their clothes like i know that's it's it's probably i know you're fleeing for your life and all that but the movie requires them to be running around in their negligees and their like uh you know man man t-shirts without pants uh and they never think to put on clothes which would probably be shoes right why why not even just grab your sneakers because you know 
at some point if somebody smashes a window, there's going to be glass everywhere. You need to wear sensible shoes during slumber party massacres. And I just feel like <laughs> young people today aren't being taught these lessons. <laughs> I also really like the scene where the girl um, goes to make out with her boyfriend in the car and his head just falls off because he's already been decapitated. <laughs> yeah. And the other girls can't hear her screaming because they're making daiquiris in the kitchen. Of course. So it, it does a pretty good job of mixing the girly with the, the murder. And I, I feel like that is a thing that happens a lot in movies. Like... If I know that I'm in a room using a blender or other loud appliance, someone's probably getting murdered in the room next to me, <laughs> and I just can't hear it. Like, that's the rule. Like, that's, like, the, the like, you know, rules of this world is that anytime you use a loud appliance, someone's getting murdered somewhere. Or if you drive off, someone is in the back seat. <laughs> yeah. Always check your back seat, ladies, because you never know. This might be a horror movie. And if any, uh... If anything, besides the drilling, sort of sticks around from Rita Mae Brown's like uh, satirical take on this. Uh, I think the killer's final speech uh, he gives, where he basically says something like, uh, "It takes a lot of love to do this, and you know you want it." It's these kind of creepy, uh, predatory, masculine, sexual phrases that people will say in real life uh, when they're pressuring someone to have sex, and he's using it as like a way to justify murder. Yeah. Which is- yeah. I think that works, um, but the movie does sort of go at war with itself. And and I feel like they they don't make that sound as ridiculous as it is, like because they're playing it straight. It just kind of sounds like a normal thing coming out of his mouth. Like <laughs> I don't know, like I almost cracked a joke that oh yeah, like lines like that. They're like normal pickup lines in my life, but you know sometimes they are, and that is disturbing. But they don't like make it seem like you guys. This is crazy that people talk like this. Yeah. He just kind of mumbles those lines and then, you know, like, goes about his killing business. Just like, <laughs> they didn't really punch it. They could have punched that more. Uh, if you want to, um, enjoy the goofier aspects of that movie and the satirical aspects, I, I think the second movie in the genre, in the franchise is the most successful. Uh, Oof. This is this is one of my favorite goofy horror movies I've seen in a long time. Uh, Slumber Party Massacre 2, from five years later in 1987, directed by Deborah Brock. Uh, the lone survivor, or there's two there's two survivors from the first movie, but one of them went crazy. The other one continued to live a normal life. Uh, she starts a girl band in high school, um, and. And goes on a road trip with her uh, her friends to go practice in this uh, new condo development, it looks like. Um, over the weekend, she starts having these visions of her sister, um, who's in the mental hospital, comes to her in her dreams and tells her not to go all the way. Uh, sort of like making that, that literal connection that slashers always have, where as soon as teenagers have sex for the first time, they get killed. Um, and it comes true. As soon as she has sex for the first time on this road trip... Uh, she sets free this literal sex demon uh, who comes out of her dreams. Um, he is a physical manifestation of MTV culture. He kind of looks like uh, Andrew Dice Clay, uh, with the, uh, except he has a vampire collar on his leather jacket. Um, and instead of the normal power drill that the other killers in the series have, he has a uh, gigantic 80s guitar with a drill at the end of the neck. Um, and between each kill, he says like ridiculous rock and roll phrases like "I can't get no satisfaction" and "Come on, baby, light my fire." Uh, it is a Looney Tunes cartoon, 
but it's also at the same time more violent than the first film. Uh, the gore is really over the top, uh, and I feel like this is full fledged like Roger Corman ridiculousness. Like any any sort of like feminist uh, theory that went in the first film might have been even more lost in this one. But it is a ridiculous watch, and it's a good satire of like MTV era um, culture, like trash. Uh, how did did you? Were you nearly as positive on this as I am? Because I'm really giddy about this movie. I mean, it is god awful, but in like <laughs> fun ways. Like for any of you who've seen uh, Strictly Ballroom, and you remember the crazy like dreamlike dance sequences where they show like the the protagonist like dad. And he's got, like, this really ridiculous 50s pompadour and, like, black lipstick and, like, eyeliner on in an attempt to somehow look look younger. Um, that's kind of what this protagonist reminded me of. Like, the weird jerky movements and, like, it looked so much like a Looney Tunes cartoon. Like, the, like, jumping up in the air with your feet kicking to, like, show that you're about to start <laughs> running really fast. That was, like, the energy of this, like, this villain. Um... Uh, but then at the same time, like, when the villain wasn't on screen, there wasn't a whole lot going on. The girl band was surprisingly good uh, for a movie band, which they almost never are. They're usually god-awful uh, and yeah. sound like a studio-produced album, but this kind of sounded like a fun Go-Go's type, you know, like... Yeah, they're a pretty convincing garage band. Yeah, no, I even, like, I even heard, like, a little bit of, like, a, like belly thrown in there. Yeah. Like, a little bit of that, like, jangly, like, soon-to-happen, to like, 90s rock. Um... But uh, other than the band and the villain, <laughs> there just wasn't a lot going on in this movie. Like, the male characters were all terrible. Like, the worst idiots. Like, they, <laughs> they, they saw someone drowning and were like, what do we do now? <laughs> Welp. I kind of like that the guys are just sort of these, like, sex objects. Uh, <sighs> especially TJ is hilarious. He's this, like, uh, just hyper macho idiot he laughs like butthead between each thing he says like <laughs> uh, he seems like a prototype for like every Adam Devine character he reminded me a lot of Adam Devine um, and you know that could be a compliment to Adam Devine um, <laughs> maybe it's not though in this case because that character was truly just oof and he gets his comeuppance too yeah no I mean it's a horror movie of course he does Yeah, uh, he's the fool he's, he's gotta die um, but yeah I, I just I like know. how they turn um uh, sexually charged um reasons for people to be killed in horror movies and it's like sort of literal thing uh every time the main character has a wet dream it starts to turn into this like violent uh thing and when she does go all the way as her sister warned her not to that's when she sets loose to this it's like it's like creature. athena's head split or zeus's head splitting open and athena jumping out fully formed like <laughs> literally she has sex and then all of a sudden there's a killer like, yeah. he doesn't drive up. He doesn't derive in any way. He's just suddenly there. A door doesn't open. He's just there. <laughs> I, lo- I love that it turns into this, like, literal thing. Like, that connection is not uh, this sort of menacing undertone. It's, like, the entire point. Yeah. Uh, and the character, the sex killer, is so over the top. Uh, and he's such, like, a music video backdrop person. Uh that it just felt like a really good um, capture of where movies were at the time. Yeah. But it was still, it was like dumb in a smart way, if that makes any sense. Like, it was it was like well-applied absurdism uh, in a time capsule kind of way. Definitely, and I mean, like, 
everything that they chose to go along with that movie from like the color palettes to like the setting made it seem all the more surreal like everything's like set in this like kind of like barren desert like brand new development where like none of the other houses have like people in them yet and all the colors are like these like crazy washed out mtv pastel neons and it just it felt kind of like uh like these like weird like early 90s nickelodeon cartoons like (laughs) raku's modern life or something but you know with more murder (laughs) <laughs> something i will say is missing though uh i was hearing you talk about the first one just now and you're talking about how the girls are pretty much real teenagers and they're having these sort of conversations that don't really play into the movie it just sort of establishes them as like Humans. real people yeah like multifaceted human beings um and in this one they totally leave that behind oh god yes uh the idea of a female slumber party here is that they basically strip nude for each other have pillow drunk. fights oh they get trashed on champagne they have pillow fights and like make out pretty much um and the boys are watching from the window and one of them even says like i didn't even know girls really did this stuff and it's like well no they fucking don't it's just like <laughs> this is for you you're as in a, a movie yeah dummy yeah like the audience for the movie presumably is mostly masculine at the time like uh like horror nerds who would be buying up vhs tapes they were probably aiming for that like college dude market and those kids watching from the window that's like a reflection of the audience like oh wow i didn't know they really did this stuff but at the same time the movie's like helmed by a woman and i feel like it's kind of making fun of that of that audience i mean as gross as the special effects were and they definitely were uh because they had some of the people from the thing working on it uh they which it was a step down from the thing obviously was it the thing yeah they said that thing that's crazy um john carpenter's the thing which has great effects but their effects you know, obviously much lower budget, uh, but still kind of the same spirit. Um, I would say that despite the fact that the effects were very gross and that there was a lot of gore in this, I feel like this movie was kind of dialed down from the previous movie because it was so much more cartoonish. And it was obviously not set in our reality because the killer literally popped out of someone's brain. <laughs> so I feel pretty safe that I'm not going to get murdered by this guy. The first guy, <laughs> sure. Psychopaths. With drills, escape from places all the time, I'm sure. I haven't gotten murdered by one yet, but it doesn't mean they don't exist. This one, I'm, I feel pretty safe. Like, I feel like I would feel safer as a younger, like, as, like, an impressionable teenager watching this. Because it's so cartoonish and funny than I would, like, watching the other one. Yeah. Because it's not set in my reality. It's set in someone else's, maybe, <laughs> but it's not set in mine. I will say that, one, okay, like, the drillings, the gore is really, like, it's, it's better than the first one. Yeah. Uh, but, um... I, what I really like is the dream imagery. Yeah. Uh, before the killer's set loose, she has all these like hallucinations um, that are re- linked to the trauma from the first film. Uh, and like you said, like this is not our reality. Like this is some other dream space that the movie has created. Um, but I like the moments where it goes even further into that dream space, where things are just so fucking unreal. Uh, in the first movie, someone's hand gets chopped off, and mm-hmm. presumably Courtney witnessed that. Uh, and she's holding on to that image in her head. Um, so when she goes to eat a burger in this, uh, the burger turns into a hand. She's like, my burger's weird! And, like, runs away. And then everyone just kind of laughs at her, because, you know, this, uh, she gets scared of a burger. This Dang. raw chicken attacks her from out of the fridge, because in the first movie she saw someone in a fr- refrigerator dead. That was, like, the first dead body she ever saw in her life, presumably. Um, 
And but the the biggest the biggest like gore moment, the biggest like practical effects display is when uh the drummer of the band, Sally, um, she's been stressing out about this pimple she's had all weekend and she it's just getting worse and she's like, I can't believe how embarrassed I am over this pimple I have. Uh Courtney runs up to the bathroom to assist Sally with something and the pimple on Sally's face grows exponentially in a matter of seconds to the point where it takes over her entire head and then it pops in this disgusting green pus all over the it's room. It's not green. It's like almost semen colored like and I don't think that was unintentional. Yeah, it's like this milky... It's pussy and <laughs> white and thick and viscous. It is so disgusting. I love that gross out moment. Oh no, it's, it's great. <laughs> but... Yeah, if you want to talk the thing, like that is the closest That's, thing in this yeah, movie. Yeah, no, I was thinking it reminded me a lot of the fly, just in that it's that same disgusting, deadly substance. Like oh, when he's ugh. eating and he like pukes, like yeah. that that gross like semen milky. Oh man, yeah. it's so nasty. Brundle flies <laughs> like goo. Ugh. Like it's that same. It's that same goo. Like it, it didn't burn her face off, thankfully, but like still, it was that same viscous white semen like goo. <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, we we do move away from the, the sex politics of the first one a little bit, like the smart sex politics, um, but I do like that the killer in this one is a lot more omnisexual. Yeah. Uh, he's not just drilling girls with sexually, he's like an equal opportunity driller, <laughs> like yeah. drills guys rhythmically in the same way, it's like very... Uh, well, that's how rock and rollers are, bro. Yeah, he's just like the sex Ooh. demon. There's no like limits to his like sex demonics. I don't no, know. no, because the previous killer... Drilled women, lots of women, but when he had to kill the male witnesses, he, for the most part, attempted to use like whatever weapon the guys had. Like if they tried to put a knife on him, he'd snatch the knife from them and kill them with the knife. Right. That sort of thing. Uh, I think he maybe drilled one or two of them, but you know that was that was purely you know out of <laughs> desperation maybe on his part, and he didn't really seem to be enjoying it like the sex demon. It was a one time in college kind of experiment. <laughs> yeah, you know, he did it because he had to. He, yeah. felt, he felt obligated, but no. he didn't really get any pleasure. Um, so we moved from a basketball team in the first one mm-hmm. to a band in the second one. Uh, and then in the third movie, we have a volleyball team in California. Oh, oh, they were they were playing volleyball on the beach. Yeah. Okay. They never talk about volleyball again. Yeah, but the main girl carries the volleyball net and the ball around. She does. That's like her. Thing. I didn't think they were actually a team. I thought they just liked being on the beach. Maybe they're maybe they're a casual team. I don't know. Um, this is the only movie, Slumber Party Massacre 3, 1990, directed by Sally Madison. Um, this is the only movie in the series that is a legitimate murder mystery. Uh, you have several creepy men hanging around these girls. Uh, you're pretty sure it's not one of the teen guys who are hitting on them, but it could be. Um, and during their slumber party, um, it slowly gets revealed who the killer is. And it's about halfway into the film. It's not like a last-minute reveal. Mm-mm. But for a long time, there's a lot of uh, suspects. Uh, yeah, there's a creepy neighbor across the street with a telescope. And he's got like he's balding, but his hair's kind of long. That's like killer material right there. (laughs) And then you have this uh, kind of like creepy D&D kind of player. He looks like the kind of kid that would own a sword. Like he He look, his name's Duncan. Okay. If that gives you any like (laughs) visual picture, his name's Duncan. And he like, no, no, this kid doesn't even have a name. Duncan's the idiot. Oh, Uh, the D&D kid has like a, uh, a ponytail. 
and he wears all black, and he just kind of broods on the beach oh, watching them play kid, volleyball. Yeah, he showed up on the beach while they were playing volleyball, and then like followed them home. He like picked up like one of their diaries or address books, and then followed them home. He looked very uh, bowling for Columbine. You know, like, long black trench coat, that one. Yeah. But his whole point is just to be a red herring, pretty much. Like, he has no effect on the plot of this movie. No. Uh, he, You just find out he's not the killer once he gets killed by the killer. Mm. Um, he was just trying to return the address book, which was really nice of him, it turns out. Right. Wouldn't have expected that. Um, this movie tries to return to the first one's... Um, I don't want to say satirical, but maybe critical eye towards masculinity... Uh, in that the killer is this, um, he's revealed to be this sort of emasculated character who is impotent, um, but the, the politics behind that's very murky, uh, he's a sex, uh, sexual assault survivor, um, who has been driven crazy by being raped as a child, uh, it's really gross, this movie, uh, out of all three of these, um, the kills are really uh, violent and oversexed in a very uh... grim. Yeah, this is like the closest <laughs> to like extreme horror. Like the first, the first movie is very standard slasher. If you can get through any slasher, you can get through that that one. This one has these really disgusting kills with this really malicious intent, and the camera doesn't break away from it. You have these long scenes of someone just being terrorized by this kid with a power drill and it's very nasty yeah um and the kills are made more sexual than the first one like uh yeah you have someone getting drilled to death the drill goes in the drill comes out and they're dead this one he sort of like pumps them like he's actually fucking them with the drill it's very hard to watch um it's a lot bloodier and the uh acting is maybe just as bad as the second one like the acting is just as much of a cartoon where the girls strip for each other in the living room and uh everything's sort of ditzy in a weird way but I don't know how to feel about this and I kind of like it I think it's good but I could see how it would be a huge turn off for a lot of people because it is a much nastier film this was definitely my least favorite uh I mean, there was a couple, like, highlights. Like, there's this one female character who has uh, Peg Bundy hair. Maria. Maria. And I'm, like, we're, like, 90% sure she's an adult film actress who's dating somebody on the crew, and that's how <laughs> she got on, because she just has a completely different energy than every other teenage girl in the room, and is also the first to take off her shirt. Uh, she's, like, half Peg Bundy, half Elvira. She's yeah. got kind of a gothy vibe to her, too. Yeah, very weird character. And the whole time she was talking about her older boyfriend that she has and how she likes older men. So, of course, that was another, like, she's like, I'm going to call my old boyfriend and have him come here, which was another, like, red herring for, like, who the murderer might be. And her concerned friend's like, how old is he? And she goes, 50. And then the friend's like, Maria! Like, it's even expected that she would be this way. Like, Maria doesn't know what's best for her. Obviously, she's a child. She's just a teenager in high school. Oh, but... she's like 16. Right. But still. Oh, she's actually like 25, but still. Uh, we'll pretend she's 16 for the sake of the movie. I kind of like the idea of giving the killer, like, a reason to kill. Um, I kind of like the idea that if you're gonna have these people murdered for entertainment, that there should be some kind of reason behind it. Like, the first one, he's just, like, this, like, stand-in figure. He just figure. likes to kill people. <laughs> the second one, it's a cartoon. This one's, like, no, it's fucking terrible. He's getting revenge for some reason. He's getting revenge on his, on, like, the toxic masculinity that he has to, like, 
perform. Like, he is upset that he can't perform these, like, traditionally masculine roles because of a past trauma, and he, like, projects that hatred onto women, which I, I like that there is a sort of strive to make these gratuitous kills purposeful. Um, whether or not that's nailed 100%, whether or not the movie's, like, 100% politically... Uh, pure is, I mean, is definitely up for debate because there's some salacious sort of like sexual assault scenes in here that yeah, really no, gross and me out. Like to imply that like somebody who is molested as a child by a relative is then going to go on to be impotent and murder people is not a, it's not great. No, it's, it's not. It's, it's, it's it, vile. It like, doesn't hold up. This movie is pretty vile. Again, I like this one the least. I'm just going to continue yeah, to say that. I can agree. It was terrible. I can see that. It does have sort of, like, straight it details. Has, it has funny moments, though. Like, Duncan. What was Duncan... Why would teenage girls want to ever hang out with Duncan? He was a weird kid. <laughs> he wouldn't, like, take his shirt off in front of them because he, like, felt, I don't know, maybe embarrassed about his nipples or something. Like, he wouldn't let them see his chest. And he never did see his chest in the movie. So now I'm kind of curious what was going on with Duncan's <laughs> chest. Like, weird kid. Bowl cut. Blonde hair, bowl cut, named Duncan. I mean, we just watched Cabin in the Woods for the first time, uh... That kid is definitely the fool. Yeah, no, <laughs> in the, he was in that the terminology. Fool. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I like that this one is the only one that has female masturbation in it. With the uh, there's a dildo kill. Uh, no, the first one talked about female masturbation because the younger sister stole the pornography, masturbated with it, and then tore out the centerfold as she was explicitly told not to. You're right. You're right. This one has cunnilingus, though. The first one does not. That's true. This one does have cunnilingus, <laughs> so you know, props to it, but it's still vile. <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to defend this movie. <laughs> he does have a... The, the killer does have a really cool van, though, that has an altar to the person who molested him full of candles. It's very beautiful. Yeah, he's got and this... creepy. ...occult van <laughs> drives around. <laughs> full of lit candles, because, you know, you drive around vans full of lit candles. Or you take the time to light each and every candle in your van, then leave the van alone for several hours to murder people and then come back to it. But I don't, I don't think that's... I, don't, I think, I'm pretty sure a van would catch on fire if you did that, so... Because literally every surface is covered in candles, like, so many candles. Yeah, he's, if he didn't die in the movie, he would have burned to death in that van. Oh, yeah. Or, um. or like, stepped into the van and immediately died of carbon monoxide poisoning because <laughs> there was no oxygen left due to all of the candles. Uh, speaking of, like, the more purposeful thing, I... Monoxide. I, I, <laughs> I also like that they went out of the way to explain how he got the power drill. Because uh, there's, like, this lumber yard around the corner from the house where he picks up his murder weapon. Yeah, because, of course, you know, he didn't... He was planning on murdering people, but he didn't really, like, know how he was going to do it. But, oh, thank goodness, there happened to be an abandoned lumber yard full of things, like power drills. And it's it's interesting that the five-minute sequence where they go to the lumber yard, it's him and another guy. Probably the only time in any of these films I could think of where it's just two male characters on screen by themselves and it's the most boring stretch of any of these movies that's that's why you just can't have men in these movies you know? <laughs> that's why it's always gonna be ladies um, yeah I, I think I think it does need that feminine energy otherwise it's just like I've seen this before and it's not interesting yeah I would watch an all male slumber party slasher movie oh that would be so great that would be pretty great like a weird science like this like mystical I'm thinking of the second one but like this like mystical 80s demon comes in and just murders all these dudes and, like, I would just think of a bunch of cute guys in their briefs like <laughs> getting also also having pillow fights <laughs> <laughs> getting drunk and then you know at some point somebody starts getting stabbed I don't know what the female centric weapon that's the opposite of a power drill would be at the moment I'm oh, sure man. I could a think bear of something trap? Oh. oh and we did recently see a bear trap put to good use yeah that's true so, 
Um, Bear Trap would be good. I mean, I, I, we don't really need to talk this one down at length. Uh, it's it's a nastier one. Like I said, I, I do appreciate that they sort of uh, try to bring it back to the um, satire of the first one, especially to have this like really clean cut, like almost American Psycho type of like waspy killer. I think is a is a good attempted commentary. Yeah. Uh, whether or not they achieved <laughs> what they wanted. And I mean, continuing on the commentary, like the cops in this one are so terrible. And at one point they're like, man, maybe we should go check on these kids. They keep calling us and saying they're getting murdered. Oh dear. And just like, such great commentary. Like, And they only what, don't uh, listen when the girls call. Like when the exactly. guy calls. When the guy calls, they're like, oh man, something might be happening. Like, <laughs> such useless cops. Never, never answer our calls when we're like, we're getting murdered. Do you have any sort of like, thoughts on like the entire trajectory of the series Oof, it's so uneven it's like a roller coaster yeah like the third one doesn't even have any characters from the first two like it just mm-hmm. resets yeah completely and there's yeah there's no reason why he has a drill other than the fact that he found a drill i mean i guess the first guy had also just found a drill but you know, the first guy also has no explanation kind of like the sex demon like he just is a maniacal killer who escaped from somewhere and he yeah. just comes fully formed the third one tries to create like a context around it how um, are monsters made to make it even more confusing, uh, there's a, another Roger Corman series called uh, Sorority House Massacre. Um, I reviewed all five of these in a row, and I got the titles mixed up like every time I try to do it. But in Sorority House Massacre, the first one is pretty good, in my opinion, uh, for its dreamlike imagery. But it's also a straight ripoff of John Carpenter's Halloween, um, with, without any apology. The reason I mention this is because the second one, Sorority House Massacre 2, mixes in images from the first Slumber Party Massacre. It has the killer from the first one in their flashbacks. So Sorority House Massacre 2 is also like a kind of a weird sequel to Slumber Party Massacre. Uh, And that movie just makes this whole thing a fucking mess. I mean, yeah, because in all the Halloween movies, we know who the killer is. Right. In all the Friday the 13th movies, we know who the killer is. In these movies, who the fuck knows who the killer is? (laughs) It just, it's some guy. You know he's male. That's what we know, because it's a slasher, and so it's going to be a guy. That's literally all we know for these. Like, there's very little tying them together, other than the fact that there is at some point a slumber party, at some point there's boobs, and at some point a guy with a drill kills people. That's what ties them together thematically. I think there's something to be said to the fact that they're older guys, too, right? Like, because the girls in each of these movies have these sort of, um, peers that are their bows or whatever, and in all three of them it's this sort of, like, older, more experienced man that's, like, a threat. Really? I don't think the other two guys are older. You don't think so? I think they're, like... The college, college age yeah, they're the college age equivalent, which is I think there's something to be said about that. Uh, Was the last guy even the college? Yeah, age he's guy? like the older guy who like moved away and came back to town. He's not like he's not like their their high school buddies, you know. He's like the, he's just more experienced man, which I think I think uh, sort of adds to the sort of creepy sexual threat of all three of these. Um, and uh, if I had to like sort of wrap up the trajectory of these. I think they're good snapshots of Roger Corman's production career. He didn't direct any of these, obviously, but um, in the early 80s, uh, he would have been sort of participating in the kind of cheap uh, slasher movies that the regular Summer Party Massacre is. is. In the mid-80s is when um, 
the second one came out, and that's when his crew of people, like your Joe Dantes and your Paul Bartels, uh, they would have been going fucking crazy and making all these ridiculous movies. And that one definitely reflects that. By the 90s, he was in the VHS schlock market. I don't want to say he gave up, but he definitely got nastier. Uh, and you definitely get he these... He had to compete with the uh, Kaufmans of the world, all the trauma yeah. cinema, and trauma is a nasty film company. That's exactly right. Like, like it doesn't... He, knew he, was, he knew his competition. Yeah, it feels like... That one does feel more like a trauma movie, except that it's good and people were trying to make something, <laughs> which most trauma movies don't have that. Uh... No, and, and if you want to insult them for not trying, they'll just insult you back for, you know, being lame or a female or, you know... A... <laughs> Some other slur that I'm not going to say on, on a <laughs> podcast. So there. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's about, that about wraps it up for me. I, I think that any of these, if I'm going to recommend them in general, you could probably slip skip both of the Sorority House Massacres. If you're only going to watch one, I'd say go for Slumber, Slumber Party Massacre 2. It is one of the more ridiculous and unique slashers I've ever seen. Like It, it is way over the top in a way I really enjoy. And I think it does approach some, like, sort of art house techniques in the dream imagery, in the MTV. Uh, I think it does. In the dream imagery, where it, like, kind of throws off the reality of the movie, but it does it in such a goofy way. Like if, if Bill and Ted were making an art house movie. No. Uh, no. That's my dream. It's great. <laughs> I, I I like one. I still like one better. Like, I mean, I like two because it's weird and funny, but if I was only going to watch one of them and I wanted to watch a slasher, I would watch the first one, because the second one is a weird cartoon with blood in it. <laughs> well, there you go. Um, we're going to come back in a couple weeks with another Halloween-themed episode. Um, we're going to talk witches next time. <laughs> and if you want to catch any more Halloween kind of things on the website, we have a roundup of the best um, the best horror movies we watched since last Halloween. Uh, just look for the... Halloween, Halloween Report 2016. Um, and also, all month long, we're talking Tobe Hooper's uh, Funhouse, which is a really nasty slasher set at a carnival. Definitely fits into the same uh, sort of wheelhouse of sort of colorful, ridiculous slasher movies that are a little off the beaten path. Um, anything else you want to say on the way out? No, I, I've said everything I'm going to say about this movie, so done. <laughs> Thank you for putting up with three slasher films in a row. Maybe we'll sort of leave that area alone for a while. Good. I'd rather talk about witches. Yeah, witches. That'll be more fun. Witches. Yeah. Bye. Bye.